My name is Brett. Welcome to Grace Covenant Church, everybody. Glad to see you, especially our guests. We are awful happy you chose to fellowship with us at our house today. really are. We're going to continue our series on preparing an on-ramp for God. This is the longest series I've ever taught on in my life. (laughs) My series are usually about a month long, three to four weeks, and, and God just doesn't let me off this one. Um, and, and, and I kind of asked him this week, I asked him, I said, Lord, why do I, why can't I move? And, and um, he began to help me a little bit with not so much scripture, but with the, with the architecture of what an on- on-ramp looks like. And an on-ramp, literally, one that is built in the world, is one that is constructed on the basis of two things. One, the load-bearing capacity that you desire the on-ramp to hold, and then two, the speed at which you want someone to accelerate onto the roadway. And those two things will give you an idea about how big and strong the on-ramp should be and how long it should be. And um, I, I, want, I want the load-bearing capacity of the on-ramp that you build to be significant because I would love it if God could bring as many things to you at once as possible rather than having to make repeated trips. Most of us are so myopic that we're only focused on one thing we need from God. Bring that to me, please. Help me with my marriage. Help me with my occupation. Give me the resources I need to provide for my family. Help me with my health needs. We focus on that. But God... I'm convinced because our lifespans are so short, wants to bring to us a bunch of stuff at one time. And that means that the, the blessings that we need are going to require a different load capacity for the arm ramp that we build. Secondly, I don't want him to have to, I don't want him to have to wait on me. I want him to come at speed and me be traveling at the same time. I want him to, 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 to what's, what is it, 70 miles an hour in the state of Virginia? <laughs> At some point, whatever the speed limit is, I want him to be going it when he comes to meet me and not have to wait for me. And so the on-ramp needs to be long so that he can ramp up, if you will, in speed. And I know that these are very natural Metaphors that I'm using to try to describe how God wants to get to you. But this is why I'm staying on this a long time. To increase the low capacity of the ramp you're trying to build spiritually and allow you the privilege of building a long one so he can come at you at speed and not have to wait. Turn with me over to Psalm 112. Psalm 112. The title of the message is Preparing an On-Ramp for God, The Benefits of Fearing God, and Delighting in His Word. Psalm 112, verses 1 through 4. The psalmist says, Praise the Lord. How blessed is a man who fears the Lord and greatly delights in His commandments. His descendants will be mighty in the earth and the generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Light arises in the darkness for the upright for he is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. 
Lord, help us as we study. This particular psalm is the psalm of my life. It's the one I've chosen because I can, I can pray it, and most of the stuff that's in here is what I'm believing for regularly and will take a lifetime to fulfill. And when I pray it, it never gets old. Every time I talk to God about his word in this particular passage, it's as if I am talking to him for the first time. Passion rises in my soul. And there are four things about this psalm today about which I wish to speak to you. One is the predisposition we need to have with respect to, to coming at God and believing for things. Two, that he desires to do things with our progeny. Three, he really wants to prosper you and bless you. And four, he wants to improve your perceptive ability about your direction and how you are to fulfill his will in the earth. First, the predisposition we need to have toward God. The psalmist says, praise the Lord. And when he, when he says, praise the Lord, it's as if he is not only saying it's important to do and to start off this psalm that way and giving God praise, but what you're about to read is amazing. What you are about to, to digest spiritually is worthy of praise before I even start. I'm so excited about this psalm. The psalmist says, I got to praise him before I pen it. And he says, how blessed is the man who fears God and greatly delights in his commandments. Now, fearing God is not that which should be confused with cowering in his presence as a result of your disobedience and somehow waiting for a lightning bolt to find your address. Though God could do that. But that is not what fearing the Lord means. Fearing the Lord has more application to a deep respect for who he is. His person. His goodness. That not without the understanding that he could judge us if he wanted. That he is a, he is a righteous God. And being righteous, when he sees wrong, he's got to fix that. His nature is righteous. He, does, he doesn't just do righteousness. He is the definition of righteous. And the reason anything goes right in the universe is because he particularly guides it as such. Otherwise, because of sin, everything would go wrong. Everything would go wrong. He particularly, specifically guides mercy and grace to your life so that you are not judged for your sin. We are so disobedient. We are so flawed in our nature, bent toward doing wrong on a regular basis, that God has to has to have his mercy precede his presence so that his judgment does not catch up with us. James describes it like this. Mercy has triumphed over judgment. The only reason we are not judged is because of his mercy, not because we are not worthy of judgment. 
And if you have problem with that statement, you have an elevated view of your own humanity. You think you are better than you really are. And the only reason you can think that is because you constantly judge yourself by the people who are the worst. And it makes you feel better about your reality every day. But if you judge yourself by the people who are the best, then you begin to get at just the people of how flawed you are. Who wants to compare themselves with Billy Graham? Who? Who wants to compare themselves with Mother Teresa? Nobody. Yet they fall so far short of the glory of God that there is an infinite expanse between their version of righteousness and God's. Infinite. They cannot span it. The only one who can is God. So where does that put us? Somewhere below that. Somewhere below that. When you're judging by infinity, how do you begin to say what bottom looks like? We are so messed up that we are deserving of judgment every day. That's what we deserve because we sin against him with the attitude of our heart, in our minds, with our thought life, with our actions. We commit so many sins on a daily basis. We have just... We've categorized only the worst as real sins because our humanity is so messed up, we think, well, that's just human. I mean, everybody does that. And so we don't even think it's wrong anymore because it's so normal. But God, and this is what you ought to praise him about, every day, every moment, every second, he views you with mercy. Now, because he is so consistent, we begin to think it is because we are so good that he doesn't judge us. He's so consistent with his mercy, we begin to mistake his mercy with entitlement and thinking we deserve to be treated this way. How in the world, if God loved man so much, why did that happen? I flipped the coin over. How in the world does a righteous God allow any of us to live? How? Except he is so merciful. I concentrate on this point with some degree of emphasis. Because the fear of the Lord allows you the privilege of waking up and doing this and saying thank you. Thank you, oh God, for another day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for not judging me for what I said yesterday, what I did yesterday. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for predisposing yourself to be sweet to me when I don't deserve it. Lord, you are amazing. The fear of the Lord allows you the privilege of learning how to say thank you on a regular basis and not needing him to do anything extra for you for you to say thank you. Oh, we are always looking for the next thing. Well, why should I be grateful? Breathing is good. That's a good thing. Breathing is really good. Just try not doing it for like a minute. Not so good. But the fear of the Lord is not just about what we would deserve and don't get it and basing our response to God on that, but it's also related to, wow, what... What, Lord, because you are so good, can I do to make you happy? 
I mean, I don't just want to live in such a way that I don't offend you. I sure would like to live because you are so good to me in a way that makes you really proud and, and brings you pleasure. What can I do because you've been so good to me? That's the fear of the Lord. The person who lives in the fear of the Lord, how blessed is a man who fears God and who greatly delights in his commandments. When you have and develop this predisposition of fearing God and greatly delighting in his commandments, oh, things begin to happen to you. Now, let, let's see. What is that about you, you greatly delight? Um, vacation in the Bahamas. Caymans. Barbados. Uh, winning publisher's clearing house. Now, it's amazing. I mentioned these things. And at some point, even if you didn't laugh, you went from this to this. You don't even know you did it. It just naturally happened. I watched you. That's how I know it happened. Just the corners of your mouth could not help but turning up. That's what delight does. It naturally makes you happy. You don't have to think about it. Does the word do that to you? Is there anything about you that when you think about God's word, you just go? Or is it such an obligation that every time you know you have to read, you go, I've got to get up 30 minutes early. There ought to be something in us that delights now. That you discipline yourself and consider it, it, it an, an, an obligation, I'm not mad at you. I'm glad you discipline yourself and consider it an obligation. Some folk don't care. I'm not mad at you. I'm happy. And God will bless you as a result. But I'm concentrating on this passage of Scripture today where God says, I'm going to do some special things for, for people who have this dispensation toward my word. Not just to try to figure out how they can make themselves read it or make themselves do it. But when somebody delights in understanding, hearing, reading, and obeying my word, oh, 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 I do some special things for them. And it's not that God won't, do, won't bless you and do other things for you anyway. But we have promises associated with this conduct. Promises. Delighting in his word. This is the predisposition that we need to, to cultivate in our souls. Fearing God daily. That we don't do anything that offends him. And that we make him happy with our conduct. And secondly, delighting in his word. It is not a hard thing. It is a, an enjoyable thing because I consider it the privilege of my life, O oh Lord, to have instruction about how to live best. You, you have the most valuable thing on your phone, the most valuable thing in your purse that you carry with you to work. Or The Bible helps you know how to live best. Making great decisions. Oh, delight in it. You fear God and delight in his commandments? He says this. I'm going to make sure now your babies are cared for. And not just your children are cared for. Not just that they are safe and moral and start living right and are competent people and good citizens. He said, I'm going to make sure that the descendants of those who fear me and delight in me, they are mighty. Mighty. 
world changers. Now listen to me. I'm happy for every kid that doesn't do wrong. But there's a difference between just being moral and being mighty. And parents, hear me. Some of this is dependent on you. Now, even if you are a perfect parent, you can't raise a perfect child. Because they are sons, of da- sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. Yes, they are. And there's a lot you can probably blame on your parents. You see that stuff coming out, he says, that's not me, that's grandpa. <laughs> that's, grand- that's grandpa right there. I know, but, 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 but regardless of where the blame falls, there is credit to be given. He says, as a result of a man who will fear me, as a result of a woman who will delight in my commandments, I will make sure that his children benefit, her children benefit. They will be mighty in the earth. Not just this generation, but he says generations. The generation of the upright will be blessed. His children will be mighty in the earth. We're talking about generations to come. You have no idea how much impact you are having on your great-great-great-great-grandchildren, people you will never see. We are the beneficiaries of Abraham's faith. I don't know how many generations there is. There are between me and, and him, us and him, but that's a bunch. And we are still eating off this man's righteousness. How, and, and listen, it's not just the fact that we are being blessed as a result. There are things that are not happening to you because somebody lived right before you. As evidenced by the fact. How many times did God tell all the successive kings after David? You messed up. But I'm not going to. I want to get you. I want to get you. But I'm not going to get you because I have regard for your great, great, great grandpa David. Abraham was called to live right before he had children. God called him and said, leave your mom and dad, leave your family, go to the place where I will show you. I will bless you, I will make you a blessing, and I'm going to give you a child in this land. It's going to be yours, his, and his children, and their children. But your action today is going to have great bearing on how they receive it. He was 25 years away from having his first baby. The one who would inherit the promised land, 25 years away. Yet the actions he took 25 years prior to having a child had great bearing on how that child received what he got. You today, how you act, how you obey God, even if you aren't married, you don't have any kids, you might be 12. I don't know, teenagers sitting up in here today, your actions today are having great impact on generations. When you love them, when you fear him, when you delight in his commandments, God said, I'm going to bless your children. And boy, we need some help in successive generations because the, the, the tide is turning in America, y'all. We, we aren't even close to being what we used to be as a defined Christian nation. No more. That's not even, there's no way you could confuse us with that. No way. So now we are just a nation that has a bunch of Christians in it that tolerates the church and soon will persecute the church. Promise you, it's happening. And that's not because I have 
some lackluster, lacking development of hope for our country. I believe our country is going to, at some point, see a great revival. But I don't know that it's going to happen in the absence of the persecuted church. I knew I, I never get amens on that point, ever. <laughs> ever. We need successor generations to be better than us. Thirdly, he says, wealth and riches are in his house and his righteousness endures forever. God wants to bring prosperity to you. If you fear him and you live by his commandments with delight, you build an on-ramp for blessings to come to you. Wealth and, and riches are two different things. I'm extremely wealthy. That doesn't mean I have enough money. But I've got seven kids that are amazing. They all love God. And they, they inspire me to love them more. My home is like a little outpost of heaven. I'm not exaggerating. I got the finest wife, present company accepted, on the planet. The finest. In 28 years of marriage, she has not complained once. I'm not exaggerating. I have never heard her complain once. And I have given her more than enough opportunity. <laughs> she homeschooled all our kids. I don't know where she keeps her cape. I've looked for it. I can't find it. But she's got to have one someplace. And listen, y'all, I am all man. I love the fact that I got testosterone flowing through my veins. I am general mankind. I am every man. I don't talk and I don't listen. <laughs> How's your day? Fine. I want to sit down and talk. Uh, how long is this going to take? I discipline myself. I've learned how to communicate with my bride. And yet I, I, I'm not sexist, but I am unapologetically gender emphatic. Unapologetically gender emphatic. I'm glad I'm a man, and I'm glad I act like a man. Glad about it. I'm equally glad that my wife is a woman. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And glad about it. Really, really glad. Viva la difference. Love it. We had the conversations as our differences became amplified in our relationship. We noticed that we were roommates. We were husband and wife. And there could not be two more polar opposite people than my wife and me. We don't like the same music. We don't like the same food. We don't think the same way. We don't conclude life the same way. Nothing about us is the same. We always look at one another. When somebody says something that is a conclusive statement, and we look at one another like this. Like, how'd you get there? What? Are you kidding me? And we've learned to say, okay, you got there. I'm not there. You are my help. Yeah. And your wisdom and my wisdom being different are going to give us God's wisdom. 
Oh, we've learned to appreciate the differences rather than, than, than being a source of conflict. They're a source of compliment. That's good. That's good. We, this woman knows that I am all man and unapologetically. And, and let me tell you something, ladies. Though, though you may not like all the things about what we are with respect to man, that's all you really want. You want us. You want a man to be a man. You do not want a man to be your version of a man. You don't want him to be just another woman. You want him to be a man. Now, when you get him as a man, you have to take all the other stuff that comes with Cro-Magnon man. Yeah. But he can be taught. He can be taught. And gentlemen, you do not want a roommate. You want that complicated, wonderfully oriented woman that you don't understand all day long. The things that are coming out of her mouth. You're saying, where is she going with this? We've been talking for 20 minutes. I haven't said a word and I don't know what's happening. I don't know. You don't say it, but you're thinking it up here. When is this going to end? You don't want a guy that just greets you with, what's up? You don't want that. You want all woman. Being all man, my wife still loves me every day. She loves me. She does. I don't. She, she does. She loves me. I'm the wealthiest man on the planet, relationally. Even though I'm all man, I treat her like a queen. I've learned to be sensitive and kind, sweet. So much so that she says, "Stop." Our marriage is great great there's no man who's more wealthy than Brett on the planet no I don't have all the money I'm still believing believing God every day to send my kids to college <laughs> every day I got three in college right now three three believe in God all the resources that the church provides for me aren't enough for what I got to do but I am the wealthiest man on the planet aside from that God wants to give you riches Wealth is beyond riches. Riches really talk about the financial resources or the material possessions he wants to give in order to show you how much he loves you and to be, to be somebody who can partner with him to distribute those resources to other people who are in desperate need. He told Abram, come out. Get in this land. I will bless you, and then I will make you a blessing. Everything about what God wants to do is to flow to and through. You are not a reservoir. You are intended to be a river through which his blessings come to and go out. 
God wants to bless him. And I realize that people use this gospel in order to, to make, it a, make God look like an ATM machine and, and heaven, a, a cash cow that's supposed to just give you everything you ever desired as long as you confess it and believe it. I'm not talking about that, but you would be really hard-pressed to try to ignore all the specific emphasis that God has regarding how he wants to help his people with material possessions. It's all throughout the scriptures, all throughout. He said, if you bless me, Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 14 is all about what he's going to do financially, what he's going to do resource-wise, if you would obey me. And you look at the promised land. When the people of Israel came out of Egypt, God said, I'm taking you, taking you to a land that's going to be amazing. And when the, the spies went in to see the land, they came back with fruit. Lodge hanging over some, some sticks that they had to carry. These were warriors. The sticks were, held the fruit on it. Grapes and, and apples and oranges. Grapes the size of lemons. They brought it back, not for the people to partake, because there were two million people. There wasn't enough food. They brought it back because they would not believe the word if they didn't see how great the fruit was. And they said, it's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. What does that mean? It means that all the animals that were mammals, their, their udders just dripped with milk constantly because there was so much vegetation. They could have twins, triplets. And there was so much honey because of vegetation. The land was so fruitful. Flowers were able to be pollinated by bees, and the bees would come back and make the honey. It just flowed from the trees. It was so great. This land was the finest piece of property upon which the Israelites could gain material wealth and be provided for. You'd have to be really blind to see that God doesn't make the end product the provision, but the, the process through which he wants to bring blessing to the world is, is, is that which brings blessing first to his people. God wants to financially make you happy. And then he wants you to make other people happy with what he has made you happy. Because you sure cannot give what you don't have. When you, when you fear him like this, when you delight in his commandments, this is a promise. Wealth and riches will be in your house. And your righteousness will endure forever. Why? Because the right deeds you do with the wealth and riches he gives you, everybody will say... Bravo, dude. And they will talk about you after you're gone. Your right deeds will live beyond you because you used as a good steward his resources well to bring kingdom to bear where it was not. <laughs> Lastly, light will arise in the darkness for the upright, for he is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. You know, we walk in a lot of darkness. I mean, we have to walk by faith. We can't see everything. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen after we finish this meeting. You walk out of the building, you have no idea what's going to happen. So we walk in a way that has some degree of expectation, but we really don't know. We really don't know. And then there are those moments where it seems to be that darkness is amplified in our life, where difficulty has so encumbered us that we can't see the hand in front of our face. The promises of God seem to be a long way away. Our marriage might be bad. Our occupation, our health, we're struggling. We don't know exactly what to do. 
And it's gotten really, really dark. The emphasis of this passage is not rhythmic in its orientation, meaning there's darkness and then the sun comes up. Darkness, then the sun comes up. No, the emphasis is this. Even when it's supposed to be dark, I'll bring out light for you. If you would fear me and delight in my commandments, when everybody else is going through an eclipse, you won't. I'll bring insight to your life to help you. I'll make sure that you aren't walking in darkness. You'll know exactly what to do. And the circumstances may not change, but you will. And you will respond differently than if you had not had an understanding of what I want to do. I'm going to increase your perceptive ability in the midst of darkness so it will be like you have infrared vision. You got night goggles on and you're able just to go around and do. Now, how, you, how did you know? I just got with God and he told me. I just read his word. I stayed in his Bible. I loved his commandments. I feared him every day. And when it got dark for everybody, it was light for me. This is what God said he would do. You build an on-ramp with the fear of the Lord in your life and delighting in his commandments. You build that on-ramp. These promises are yours. He will do this for you. Can you say amen? amen. Let's pray.